Hello, welcome to my X-Men Origins story. You might be wondering what the whole point of this video is, which is fair enough. Um, and it's this, basically, if, I, if you're anything like me, whenever you see anyone on the internet, on TV, anywhere else, who thinks they can tell you something or give you advice or share some lessons they've learned, I always think, who are you to share this? You know, what, what, your, what are your qualifications? Why should I listen to you? So I think it's only right that now that I've launched this channel, I did the same when I wrote a book last year, I share why I think that. I always remember a, a client I worked with last year. I was working with the, with the CEO of this company and, he, and we chatted through things through and the work had gone really well. And he said it'd be really good for you to work with the team as well. So started working with some of the, the some of the team members and there was a young lad who decided to have a session with me which was fair enough but he came into the session and everything about him everything about his body language was just a challenge from the start so he sat with his arms folded sat we were facing each other across the table his arms folded he faced away from me with his legs crossed away from me with this completely blank look on his face and I could tell straight away this would be interesting. And within seconds of sitting down, he said to me, so like, what are, you, what are your qualifications to do this? And I think what he expected, which is what most people would expect and maybe what most people would do, is for me to justify things by you know, talking about my qualifications and stuff like that. And I said to him, what do you mean? do you mean what certificates do I have that enable me to do this? And he said, yeah. And I said, I don't have any. I've never passed an exam. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. Um, this is just stuff I've learned in my life through experience and through reading and studying and doing all kinds of things. And I think even that response shocked him because I didn't sort of play the game. And we went from that point in that conversation to within, I think I think it was like three months, maybe maybe three or four months, and he'd completely changed his life. This this lad, he was a really nice lad. We we got on, we broke down all these barriers that he was going through and he completely changed his life. And I often think about that experience and that's why I do I'm doing this video. I I like to sort of set the scene because it is important that you understand if we've got more time to do this. What I've been through, the journey I've been on that has led to this point, has led to this video, has led to this website, has led to this YouTube channel and podcast. Um, because it, it is that, the reality is I'm a, I'm a qualified lawyer. I've got all the certificates for that. I've got a degree, I've got a postgraduate qualification from law school and did the qualifications to become a certified lawyer and I am as qualified to do that as you can be to do anything, I suppose. And the irony is when I talk to anybody about this stuff, I would say I know more about psychology and human behavior and emotion than I'll ever know about the law. Because I love this. This is something I spend my time reading about and studying and ultimately what is a formal qualification? A law degree is reading 10 books a year for three years and then doing some exams. I've read well more than 10 books a year for three years about, about these topics and I've just never done an exam. So 
you'll have your own views on what that means and whether that means I can talk about this stuff. But I'll share my story. If you like it, if it resonates with you, then maybe you'll continue on this journey with me and we can you can listen to some stuff I want to share. I want to say as well from the start that what I've noticed over time is that what loads of people who write books especially about their life journeys and people who want to share stuff, they started out with a really traumatic background. They started out with a traumatic childhood with abusive parents, drugs, alcoholism, maybe even sexual abuse. And their stories are, are, are ones where they've completely transformed their lives. You know, it's rags to riches. And those stories are always massively inspirational and incredible to listen to and, and fair play to the people who, who go through those journeys. But something I've always thought when, when reading those types of stories is, well, that's not me really. Like I've, I've come from, I come from a, a really nice background. I've got a lovely family and couldn't, I couldn't have asked for more as a child. I had love, I had, I had a mum and dad. I had a lovely house in the Northern suburbs of Liverpool. We had a pond. I had a big sister. I had a big wider family. I had loads of mates. There was no abuse. There was no alcoholism. There were no drugs. Um, and yet, as we go sort of decades into my story, as you'll hear, I found I had problems that I had to overcome and I'm still overcoming and I'm still working on and still learning about and I'm still learning about all the things that I think the key to all of this is I think the stuff I've learned over the past few years we should be taught in school and if we were all taught it in school our lives would be much more straightforward we would be much happier and at peace because while it's not easy stuff it's it's fairly simple and it's, there's, there's not much to it um, but I think it's important to say that because Obviously, the vast majority of people I've ever met and I've ever come across, and maybe this is you, I've got a fairly normal background. Do you know, with this, everything's on a scale; it's not black and white. But generally speaking, people are from a nice home, and they had a mum and dad, or parents, or people who raised them in a nice way, and they went to school and they they had opportunities. And I think there's probably not enough people out there talking about those people, and talking to us, and. Um, saying that it's all right to have problems if you come from that type of background as well as if you come from an abusive sort of background with uh, less opportunities. And and the reality is the lessons that I've learned, the stuff I'll talk about applies to everybody anyway. It's just a case of, does it resonate with you? Does the story resonate with you? So I want to say that up front. I'll try and keep this as brief as possible. Obviously, this is like a, I'm 40 this year. This is my, I'm filming this in March, 2020. So I'm 40 years old in July. This is this is a summary of 40 years, basically. So I'll keep it as brief as, brief as I can. That's easier said than done for me. Um, but my so my story starts with family, as all of our stories do. I, I this isn't in. I, I wrote this story in in the book I wrote last year, which I'll talk more about. But um, and this bit isn't in because I started it was about career so I started where the, the career story starts which is when I'm about three years old but before then it's probably worth saying as well I was I was the second child in my sort of immediate family so my mum and dad waited seven years to have my sister they, they had some issues and didn't think they could have kids and then all of a sudden they had her and she was the, a glorious golden child um, but I'm from an Irish Catholic family basically I'm from Liverpool and as is the culture in lots and lots of families and countries and religions around the world. Um, there's just something about the boy, especially with their mums, especially with the other women in the family. So when I came along, it was 
<laughs> I was away last year and I'd never seen The Lion King and I, sh I was sharing my story with some people I'd just met and, and one girl said to me, you need to watch The Lion King because you, you're like Simba. Um, and I, whenever I see the, f the scene now of you know, when, when Simba is born and they sort of present him at the, at the cliff edge, at the mountain edge, I always think that's a bit like when boys are born, I think, into, um, into Irish Catholic families and families like Irish Catholic families. It's like, here he is, he's the golden, the golden child, the saviour. But simultaneously, and this is the sort of duality in life that I've, I've come to learn so much about in recent years. Um, it's, it's incredible how often this comes up. At the same time that that was the case, so, do you know, I'm, I'm born as sort of this, the golden boy. At the same time as that, I always remember growing up with stories that my sister was a little China doll when she was born. She was beautiful and perfect and all of this. And when I was born, the phrase was something like, I mean, it was just a joke story as I was growing up. We've all got these type of things. I, w I looked like a little pig. I, you know, I had my skin was, I had too much skin for my body. I was really long. I was too long for, for my mum's womb. So my feet had bent over inside and I'd kicked a sternum out of place while I was inside, a breastbone. Um, and my, my dad said, oh, he looked, he just looked like a little pig compared to the story about my sister and she was a little angel. So that was, that's how my life started. And I, I came bounding into the world and I had some health problems when I was little and then we went through, but then to jump to where the, the career story starts. I was three years old. I used to love cars. I used to be one of those kids who had, you might remember this depending on your age, one of those mats with sort of like a city drawn on it and you used to drive around with your little toy cars on it. I had a big bucket, a big white bucket at home full of hundreds of little sports cars. And I'm sitting in the back of my dad's car and we're driving along. And back then, this is, this is way before iPhones and way before handheld computer games. So when I was a kid, maybe you remember this as well, depending on your age, I used to have this little steering wheel that used to stick to the window. So it, it was like I had my own little dashboard. So I used to sit behind my dad like I was driving the car. And this one day, we pull up at traffic lights and a black Porsche pulls up alongside us. And I say, whose is that car? And my dad says, it's our lawyers, it's our solicitors. And I said, okay, I want to be a solicitor then. And that was it. That's the story. That's how my career started. And the kicker to all of that is I don't remember it. I don't remember that any of that happening. <laughs> all it was was a story told to me by my family on loop as I grew up. And I always say now, if you've seen the film Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio, anyone who doesn't believe that's possible, you just go into any family where the parents have <laughs> done anything in any way subconsciously to suggest to the kids what they should do for a living. I was incepted at three years old with the idea of being a solicitor. So I was that kid growing up who always knew what he wanted to do. I was the one in school who people were jealous of, actually. It was like, God, I wish I knew what I wanted to be because I was certain I want to be a lawyer. I used to get rolled out and at family parties, people would say, oh, Paul, tell everyone what you want to be. And I said, I want to be a solicitor. And they, they, the kicker back then was I was a really quiet kid. I was really shy. And I couldn't even say it properly. I couldn't say solicitor properly back then. I still struggle now. Maybe that's a... a a throwback to being a child but the that was it you know and every time I said it everyone would react like whoa wow this is brilliant I became basically the first kid in my family I had a cousin in Australia who'd been to university but um, I went through school and I was good in school and I was a good kid and I behaved myself and I worked hard and I got my uh, exams got all my qualifications and I went to university to do a law degree and I mean, I had I had some health issues on the way there as well. Nothing major, but things like growing pains and whooping cough and a skin condition called psoriasis, which is a bit like eczema. Um, 
and then when I was 17, so I was in the middle of, in Britain, at the A-levels, so you do GCSEs at 16, and then between 17 and 18, if you go on, you do A-levels to go to university. And I was in the middle of doing my A-levels, and I started developing a stiff neck. And I just I remember complaining about it, so my dad took me to the, to the doctors, and I remember sitting in the doctors with my dad, and the doctor saying, it's because you're revising too hard for your exams. So you, you, you're huddled over, and that's why you're getting a stiff neck. I remember sitting there thinking, that's bollocks, like I'm not, I'm not revising at all really. Like I'm, I was a proper like last minute crammer when it came to exams. So I remember I used to have, my, in my mum and dad's house in the front room, they have, a, they have a dining table and I used to sit there with all my stuff spread out on it. And my mum and dad, my dad would be at work all day, my mum would be out and I'd see her coming in and I'd just be sitting there messing around, doing nothing. And she'd come in and I'd start pretending to revise and then she'd come in and say oh you've been working too hard have a break I'll make you some food watch some telly and I'd be like oh, okay thanks mum and I just wasn't I wasn't really doing anything so when the doctor said to me it's because you'd revise and I was like oh, I'm not sure that's true but anyway that filters into stuff later on I go through I get my A-levels I go to university I start my law degree I don't really like it I was a I was always a maths and science kid, really. Art, again, duality. I was a maths and science and art and creativity stuff. I used to love doing art, which I wasn't allowed to carry on doing. When I went to, when I wanted to do a law degree, they wouldn't accept it as a real qualification. So, so I, I had this maths and science background and then went to university to do law. And I just always remember from the start being like, oh, I'm not really into this. Like, I, I'm, I, <laughs> I used to like that. The idea of maths is that there is an answer, so it's you add up this and this, and it's this, and you're either right or wrong, and you go to law, and it's completely different, there are no answers, it's all about concepts and arguments, and well, it could be this, or it could be this, and um, I didn't particularly enjoy it, and then it, we got to the middle of the degree, so I'm about 19 years old, and I'm sitting in this, I went to Liverpool University, so it's an old red brick university, old classic university, in Liverpool and I'm sitting in this uh, tutorial room and they, they basically, we got to a point where you've got to start applying to law firms to, to get a training contract to, to become a trainee solicitor and then qualify later on. And uh, law firms started sending people in to talk to us, trying to encourage the, the best people to apply to their firms, obviously, and they were telling us how we would apply. So I'm sitting in this tutorial room. It's probably about, it's about, 20 meters long by 10 meters deep there's probably about 30 or 40 of us in there sitting in a u-shape at the time i was going through a very uh, very particular stage of style in my life so i was dressed in a full track suit i had a shaved head i was wearing gold jewelry probably very much not what they were looking for to join the law firm and i always remember this this young sort of young cocky lawyer from the he must have been mid-20s then i was 19 so he seemed a bit older than us and he was telling us all about how how we would apply to to the firm if we wanted to get a training contract. And he, he's, I always vividly remember this. He said, um, he said, you you'll be asked one specific question when you come for interview, and that is why you want to be a lawyer, why you want to be a solicitor. I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I've got this, I've got this nailed. I've known, known since I was three. And he said, there's one answer we won't accept, only one answer. And then he paused. I remember feeling like that pause went on for a lifetime. And then he said, we won't accept that you've always wanted to be one. That's a cop out. We need to know why. And I remember thinking, bang. It was like someone hit me around the head with a bat. And my head started spinning and I went home that night and I was thinking, shit. But that is why. And that was the first time I unpicked this story. 
I unpicked this story about my dad in the car and I don't even remember it and it's bullshit. Like actually, my, if my dad would have said to me when I asked him about the car, well, you can do anything to have a black Porsche, mate. Like there's loads of jobs you can do where you'll make enough money for that. I wouldn't have been a lawyer. Like it wouldn't, like I wouldn't have even known what one, what one was probably. Um, and it just really sent me into a spin and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was, just, I was in the middle of my second year of a three year law degree and thought I'm going to quit. I'm gonna have to quit. I don't want to do this. I don't know what I want to do. I then ended up sitting down with one of my one of my favourite uncles, and we were in this little dark, dingy boozer pub near in Anfield, where I'm a big Liverpool football club fan, and um, not far from the ground. And we were sitting in towards the back. You go past the bars on your right hand side, and it was dark, and there's only windows at the front. It was very you could smoke back then, so it was very smoky. All pictures on the walls, red walls for the local club. And we were down right at the back, sitting on the right-hand side, and we're sitting there having a pint. And he said to me, because I was telling him about all of this and saying, I think I'm going to quit. And he said, well, if you're going to do anything in the world, if you could be anything, do, do anything, what would you do? And I said, I'd be, that's dead easy, I'd be a footballer. And he said, okay, what are the chances of that happening? And I was a decent footballer when I was growing up. I used to play for the school teams and things like that. And, but by this point, I was probably four stone heavier than I am now, all fat, not muscle. I'd had a couple of knee operations. I was sitting there drinking my fifth pint of the night, which was fairly standard at that time as a student. I was about to go home to have a kebab or a pizza or whatever my uh, healthy food of choice would be at the time. I remember just saying to him, slim to none, like there's basically no chance of me being a professional footballer now. I'm not good enough for a start, even without all of the other stuff. And he said, this is the thing, son, nobody likes their job so you're better off doing something that makes you loads of money because if you don't like your job anyway and you don't like what you do at least you get paid loads i remember thinking at the time i was only 19 i'm thinking yeah that's true like i don't know anyone who really enjoys their job and i don't know anyone who earns loads of money they all just sort of get by and they're living a normal life and i was like yeah that's that sounds about right good advice so I cracked on and I carried on and I got my law degree and I qualified and I ended up working for the biggest law firm in Liverpool, which was the biggest at the, at the time, just a few years after the biggest law firm by number in the, the corporate law firm in the entire world. And it was what I always did. Do you know, I always, whenever I put my mind to something, I would achieve it. I did what I wanted to do. I did what I needed to do. And I was working with them and even after a couple of years, don't get me wrong, being a trainee solicitor is really good fun and you know, I had a great time and met some incredible people and did great work and had a lot of, <laughs> did a lot of drinking and nights out and partying and um, it was great. But I remember getting to a point fairly quickly where I thought, I'm not fulfilled doing this, it doesn't, not really with me. Like when I, when I was a kid, when I look back, I always had entrepreneurial tendencies. I, I was creative, as I said. I used to, there was a point when, I, I always remember when um, the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles were out. They, we couldn't call them ninjas in the UK. It was too violent. But I used to draw pictures of them because I was a good artist. And I used to draw pictures of them. And I, people in my class used to come up to me and say, can I buy it? Can I buy one from you? So I used to sell pictures of the turtles for 20 pence each. And it's probably the best business I've ever had. The, the, demand, uh, the demand came before the supply. And... It was really good. And and I used to be one of those kids who would go knock on neighbours' doors and wash their cars and things like that. I always remember I, one of the neighbours once offered me and my mate, she said, look, we'll give you the, the £2 or £3, or whatever it was we were charging to wash a car back then. 
or you can have this jar of coins of two pence pieces in a, in a jar like this big I remember at the time looking at my mate and was like and this sums up characters I suppose we'll take the jar um, and I can't remember whether there was more or less than two pound in it now I don't know whether we even ever counted it but as I say sums up sort of personality type so back then I suppose if I'd have had someone older than me who would who'd have recognised that entrepreneurial spirit in me, maybe I'd have gone down that path. But back then there was no, you know, there was no Dragons Den on TV or shows like it. Um, I can't remember what the one in the states is called, but you know the type of shows they they encourage entrepreneurship. There's loads of talk entrepreneurs online now. There was none of that really. So sort of being shepherded down when you're the, one of the clever kids in school, you got everyone got shepherded down the lawyer, doctor, dentist accountant route and that's where i ended up so it got to the point when i was working for this big law firm where i thought i used to i was i was really good and and did, did really well and moved firms to another big firm and used to get on well with the partners and but i used to always challenge everything because that's my type personality type and don't really accept things the way the way people tell me they are if i if i think there's better ways of doing things and it got to the point where i just thought i think i can do this better so at 28 years old I was basically coming up to three years qualified, which was the most junior you could be to be a partner and um, to set up your own company. I set up my own law firm. I thought there was a better way of doing things. There's a long story behind that, but I set up my own company, 29 years old. I've got photos of me now, which I look back at the photos of me and think, Jesus, I can't believe anybody gave me any work. I look like a child. Um, but it was great to begin with. It was brilliant. I, I loved it, it was exciting and exhilarating and I literally started with a blank piece of paper and a pen and a pad and the internet and started building up clients and going out and seeing people and building up contacts and it was great, I, like it was so exciting and I'd started getting work and I started building them up and I started taking on staff and getting a new office and it built and built and built and um, it got to the point about th it was th about three years in because it was the year I got married in 2012 and I had this I was doing property developments by then on the side in my in my spare time I always say loosely there wasn't really any spare time I was working a hundred hours a week easily and going and sort of renovating properties afterwards and uh, proposed to my then girlfriend who we were living with and we ended up having this big sort of footballers type wedding in Spain. And there was just loads of pressure piling up and up and up in all different areas of my life. Been anyone who's, if you've run a business, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and the pressure was just increasing all the time, constantly. And it got to a point where, by then I was already, uh, insomnia was just the constant. I couldn't really sleep at night. I was massively stressed. I was unhealthy. I wasn't eating well. I look back and think, I don't think I knew at the time. And I often think this when people talk about depression. Um, I think when you're in the midst of depression, it's hard to even know you've got it sometimes. It, it takes a lot to recognise. And especially back then, there wasn't as much talk of, of this stuff back then as there is now. The world's changed a lot in those eight years. Um, and I remember coming back. We got married in the July and then that Christmas, we were in my mum and dad's house. So we were in the bed I actually grew up in and my, my new wife is asleep next to me in bed. And my whole family's asleep and we'd had a lovely Christmas day. And I'm just lying there wide awake as usual and I'm, I'm miserable and not happy at all. And to the outside world, it looked fantastic. Like it, it genuinely looked like I had everything that 
people say we should have and we should want to make us happy. I had, I had this great career. I'd, by then I'd got a, a great sports car that I'd always wanted. I had a beautiful wife. I had a loving family. I had a, my own company with a city centre office with glass walls. And we had some incredible clients that even big law firms couldn't believe that they were my clients and not theirs. And I had a beautiful home, big city centre apartment. So to the outside world, it looked great. Like everybody, everybody at the time, I remember, I mean, I was sort of your typical pride and joy of a child as well. I was held aloft to, to other people's kids as, as the example you should follow. Why can't you be more like Paul Cope type thing? And there's me lying awake Christmas night, 2012, just miserable, depressed. Um, and I remember lying there and, and scrolling through my phone because that's what we do when we can't sleep. We shouldn't really, but scrolling through my phone and looking at books because I used to read loads of personal development books at the time. And I came across a book called The Four Hour Workweek by a guy called Tim Ferriss. And I, I'd heard of him because one of my mates had recommended another book of his, which was A Four Hour Body, year, a couple of years before that, I think. Um, so I, was, I saw it and, thought, and I started reading through it and it really struck me. I, I've often said since then, there's a there's a saying that um, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, and I, I just completely believe that. The number of times I've recommended that book to other people since, and they just don't like it, or it hasn't hit them, and I always think it's it's just because of a timing issue, really. It's the same with anything we ever read or listen to or learn. So I, I got this book, and I started reading it, and then I was due to go on, on honeymoon a week or so later. So I bought the hard copy, and I took it with me. I remember reading it on the beach. And people always say to me at this point, I can't believe on your honeymoon you were reading a business book. And I always say to them the same thing. I wasn't reading it out loud. Like I was reading in my head. I'm a grown-up. So it didn't matter to my wife whether I was reading Harry Potter or something else. It was just quietly sitting there reading this book. And it was it was incredible. I remember the shift. It's all The book is all about how, in a, in a nutshell, you don't need to live this sort of traditional life. You don't need to work your bollocks off. Like the, the, the way we've been programmed over the years is just a bit flawed really in the, in the modern world. And I came back from that and I started completely, completely redesigning my life, completely redesigning my business. At the time, I remember sitting there thinking on the, I was sitting on the beach reading it and thinking, God, I've only got a law firm because I was a lawyer who wanted his own company. But actually, if I was going to do anything from scratch, what would I do? So I, so I started, I designed a new business, but I did it, I reverse engineered it basically. I thought of all of the things I wanted to do in life, all of the, the things I'd want in a business if, it was, if, if I was starting from scratch. And I, and I did it that way around and then developed this idea of an online gambling company because I like football and I liked to bet back then and I thought it'd be fun and it was scalable because it was online and it was recession proof and I wouldn't need a big team. At the time, I think um, Instagram had just sold for a billion dollars and it was had a team of like 13 people. I remember thinking, God, I've already got six or seven staff. I don't think there's a law firm on the planet worth a billion dollars and I could have a hundred thousand staff and it still wouldn't be worth that. And um, so I developed this business and it turned into this online gaming company and I tested it and I got some seed investment and um, and then I, it, it went quite well. So I got sort of a big private equity investment from a few people. So at this point, I'm running a law firm still that I wasn't happy in. Um, I'm doing property development and now I've got an online company that I'm all running at the same time. I've got the stresses of home life as everybody does and, and this all sort of fe featured in together. And 
again, Joe, there was excitement around the new business, but linked with everything else, it was just, I look back now and think, I don't, I don't even know how I survived that period, to be honest. And I think more than anything, it's, it's hard to nail the years now when I look back, because it, it's all sort of turned into a bit of a blur, but um, by then I'd, I'd been diagnosed with, in my early, mid-twenties, a couple of chronic illnesses. I had Crohn's disease, which is a bowel condition, and my neck condition had been diagnosed with something called ankylosing spondylitis, which is a condition that causes your your, your spine to fuse and um, inflammation of your joints. So I was, I was on serious medication for all of this at the same time as doing all of this other stuff. Um, and I always remember actually, I don't know what, even know what year this was, but in the middle of all this, I remember once a year the hospital used to put an event on for people who were suffering from Crohn's and we went and we, and we were watching people getting up one at a time talk about how, the ways in which it was affecting their life and it, how it was stopping them doing stuff. And my wife turned to me and said, she might not have been, even be my wife then, I can't, I can't remember. She said, these people have got what you've got. And I was like, yeah, yeah, they've, they've just got one of the things I've got. I've got, um, I've got ankylosing spondylitis as well. And she was like, but you're, you're running three businesses, basically, and they're saying they can't get out of bed. And I was like, I know, like maybe they're not as fortunate as me or um, the drugs I get, it, you know, keeping me going, whatever it is. Um, but I look back now and think, I was, I was fucked. <laughs> like I was, I was in a bad way. Um, and, and at the time as well, I don't, re- I don't really talk about this stuff, but um, there was, a, there was a period, probably a, year, a couple of years in the middle of all this, and again, I don't know when it was, but um, I, th- I think you'd, you'd technically call it suicidal. You know, I was, I was, ready, I was ready for it all to end. If, you, if I'd have been killed, I'd have been relieved. And the reason I say I sort of technically call it suicidal is I, I always remember thinking I couldn't kill myself because if I killed myself, I might as well go and shoot my family first because it would, it would kill my mom and and my dad and um, I don't have any kids, but I'd, I've got a niece and nephew. And I always remember thinking, I couldn't, I couldn't give them that example. What, what if they're depressed when they're older and they think you know, that their uncle Paul, he, he killed himself, so why shouldn't they? And I, so I used to sit there and, and the other thing was, I, I knew that I had a lot of debt at the time from building these businesses and all the stuff I was doing. And I, I, I knew that, your insurance doesn't pay out if you kill yourself. So I, I was insured for a lot of money back then because of the businesses and my health conditions. I, I, I'd sort of ramped up my, my insurance. Uh, and I remember I used, to, I used to sit and plan ways in which, not that I would kill myself, but I could be killed and end it all, basically, and, and think about the, the steps you would have to go through to get someone to kill you so it looks like a murder and your insurance would pay out and it would be you know, it would be tough for your family to take but at least it would be better than than having killed yourself and I look back now at all of that and think how dark that that time was and again it's you know there's, there's a lot of blurred times in this but the I remember getting to a point where physically I mean I had these physical conditions I'd, I'd put up with for years which I just sort of accepted as being sort of, sort of normal, I suppose, with chronic illnesses. But I got to the point where I vividly remember for months, my, my whole left arm, I couldn't really feel. It was like, it was tingling and numb. And I remember walking to the match one day to watch Liverpool with, with a couple of mates and 
lads lads my age all around the world probably men generally we're not we're not great at talking about any of this shit and um health stuff and and anything like that and we're, and we're not our job usually is to take the piss out of each other and make each other laugh so even with stuff like this you, we didn't really talk about but I, I always remember saying to them just mentioning this my arm was sore and norm and and even they said to me you need to get that looked at mate and i remember thinking god if if my mates are saying that then maybe i do and i, I vividly remember this as well I, I i had a conversation with my wife and she said please phone please go to the doctors please go to the hospital and there was a, a non-emergency number in the uk at the time i don't know whether it still exists and, and you could phone so it wasn't it wasn't like an emergency 999 call but i sat on my bed and i phoned this number and i spoke to this woman and I still remember her voice now. It was like speaking to one of my aunties and I explained everything that had been happening and I explained my lifestyle and I explained this thing with my arm. And she said to me, okay, son, I want you to put the phone down and stay where you are. I'm going to send an ambulance to you right now because you need to get to the hospital. And I remember saying, fucking, like, don't be ridiculous. Like, I've had this for ages. This is not, you don't need to waste an ambulance on me. There's people who are dying out there sending the ambulance there. And she was like, that's the point. Like, you are high risk. You need to get to hospital. And I ended up negotiating with her. I remember my wife was sitting outside, so she came running in. And I was like, I'll drive myself to hospital. She was like, you can't drive. Do not get behind the wheel of a car. You shouldn't have been driving for months. And my wife was like, well, I'll take you. And so the woman on the phone said, okay, go to the hospital, city centre. It's only five minutes from where I lived at the time. And we went in. And you'll have experienced hospital emergency rooms accident and emergencies depending on where you are and they have you go to the desk usually and you, you check in and then there's, there's a triage room so they decide who's the most important and you go and sit and wait for everyone and then you're usually there for hours in city center hospitals where i'm from and i'll always remember we we went in and i gave my name and the, the woman i'd spoken to on the phone has obviously phoned ahead and instead of sending me to the right where everyone else was sitting, they pointed at the door to my left and said, go through that door. And I went through this door and there was a bed waiting for me. And they sat me on the bed, lay me down and strapped me up to an ECG machine straight away to test my heart. And it was a massive shock to the system because I remember thinking, wow, this, this must be serious. And I've been, I've been ignoring this for a long time. And there was nothing wrong with me then and it was all clear but one of my uncles who, who who'd had a heart attack said to me a, f a couple of weeks later yeah the problem is though they can't actually test it that's what he what he learned anyway he said it's not they can't necessarily test whether you've had a heart attack unless you, you're like in the middle of having it or it's just happened so you you don't know and i was like right i remember thinking like fucking hell something's got to change here and my life by my life in these years was extreme one of my best mates said it to me once. He said, "Like everything's always been extreme in your life. It's you're working hundred hours. If I went out, I would stay out the latest. I would drink the most. I would party the hardest. I had the most stress." And I remember one day just lying in bed again. Another another day of lying in bed and thinking, "How the fuck has this happened? Like I have built, I've managed to build a prison around me. I've built it. Like, I, it's my own company, my own businesses, my own life, and I've done this. I can't blame anyone else. And that was the breakthrough. That was the first breakthrough moment because I thought to myself, well, hang on. If I stop moaning about it and take responsibility, if I built the prison, I've got the blueprints to take it down. So I can take down my own prison 
and build something else in its place. And from then, that was when everything started to change and I started to move forward. And I mean, there's so much in all of this that I could go into, but for the sake of time, it led slowly to various things. So I sold my law firm, I started selling off the properties, the online business ended up crashing, which is another long story, um, just as it looked like it was gonna go through the roof. Um, I ended up getting divorced, separating from my wife, because there were, there were problems in, in that relationship on top of all of the stresses with business and everything else. And I came out the other side and I was doing consultancy work for, um, for the law firm that I'd sold my law firm to, and that was keeping things ticking over. And the one thing I've not mentioned through all of this actually was, um, I used to suffer from really, really bad anger explosions. Not, not often, I think, and I think one of the things most people who knew me or have ever known me would probably say I'm a fairly relaxed character most of the time, but just every now and then, maybe once a year, I would feel this, you know, it, it would build up over time so I could feel it. I used to think it was, it was literally where the, the saying, the straw that broke the camel's back, that's the, that's what it felt like. So over time it was like straws were just being added to my back and then it would get to a point where I would just snap and it, I would have this, it could be anything that would trigger it and it would, it would go from my toes to my head like a volcano erupting and I'd just explode and I'd throw a glass at a wall or I would, I remember smashing a guitar once and, um, and over time I'd done different things to try and manage it and to get it under control and I thought I had and then after the, through the back of all of this, something else happened, another incident and it, and I just remember thinking, I've got to do something about this. Like no matter, I've stripped all this other stuff away, but there's still something inside me that is a, is an issue. And around the same time I was, um, I'd stopped drinking beer because of health reasons and to try and take gluten out my life to deal with the autoimmune conditions and the anti, the inflammation in my body. And I'd started drinking, and again, this is a you know, part of my extreme personality. I'd started drinking straight vodka as my drink. So I would I would just drink straight vodka on ice with, with lime and we were we were away for a a European final with mates and we were going to a, we'd been drinking all the way through for two, three days. And we're in this park on the day of the game and everyone else is getting beers, but I don't drink beer, so I was already drunk from the days. We'd we'd been flying literally, literally and figuratively flying for days, different nights out. And I said to my mate, oh get me a bottle of vodka. So I, I remember standing in this park in Kiev, drinking vodka out of a bottle. And that was my personality, that was my character, that was all part of the all part of the game. And mates were loving it and it was funny and blah blah blah. And I just always remember vividly one of my mates' mums and dads were there. And his mum came up to me and looked at me in the eye and said, Are you okay? And at the time I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm not, I'm not just okay, I'm flying, I feel great. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd shed all this weight and all this stress and all this pressure from previous years. But in the months that followed, I remember thinking to myself, or well, probably just the weeks that followed, I'm not okay, you know, like it's not, it's not okay to drink vodka out of a bottle in a park. I don't, and I don't care what the background is and what you do, what led to it and what this, what the steps were, it's not okay, and these anger things, and I took a decision then, which is the the biggest, one of the biggest decisions, and bear in mind, I've made a lot of big decisions in my life, um, 
I made the best decision I've ever made and I started to see a therapist. I went to see a psychotherapist and started talking to him about all of this stuff and just mainly the anger thing and other triggers behind it, which I'll talk about in the future. But I, I'll always remember, I picked him specifically because he was really well qualified, but his background was similar to mine and he was older than me but he was a scouser, he was from my city, so I knew he would, I hoped he would be a straight talker, which is what I needed. I needed someone who I could respect and would tell me how it was. And after a couple of sessions, he said to me, Paul, this is like, because I was telling him all about my, you know, leaving my wife and my businesses closing down and uh, selling my businesses and losing a business and all of these different things. And he said to me, you're talking about these things like you've just gone to the corner shop. Like, how do you feel? When you tell me about this stuff, how do you feel? I remember I answered the question and he said, that's not how you feel. That's how you think. Tell me how you feel. And I said to him, I don't know what you mean. I, I don't know. And what I learned was I'd been through my life from when I was little, and this is what most of us do without realising it, I'd been shutting down my emotions and shutting down my emotions to deal with different elements of life and stresses and strains and health and all of this stuff and I'd been burying it for so long and all of this other stuff was a character that had developed on top the ego which I've learned so much about in the past two years and um was all a coping mechanism was all was all a way of dealing with life with dealing with things that emotionally I couldn't deal with which is is what lots of us do and over the months working with this guy, it was, the, as I say, the best decision I ever made. And it got to a point where I realised I was walking my dog in the park one day after I was seeing this guy every week. I was reading, I was reading up on this stuff and watching YouTube videos and doing all the stuff I would usually do. And I just had this massive breakthrough one day that I just didn't expect. And I used to see it in my family and could never see it in me. But it, what I realised was all of this stuff was laid on top of the fact that I had lots of insecurity and self-esteem issues and basically anxiety and fear running through me that I'd, I'd never acknowledged and always suppressed. And as I say, this, this character I'd built on top, the armour I'd put on, the addictions that I'd, I'd got, which were basically drinking and stress and... Um, attention even there's so many things working long hours all were as a result of this thing all was as a result of the deep emotional and psychological things that had never been dealt with over the years and had layer upon layer upon layer um and that breakthrough was huge like literally from that point it was like everything fell away like the weight lifted off my shoulders I didn't need to drink as much anymore. I didn't need to go out and party all night. It was incredible, like absolutely incredible, almost unbelievable when I look back now. And and now the strange thing for me is that that's been sort of two years, coming up to two years since I first started seeing a therapist and I started working with, with other coaches then to develop work on different sides of it and work on my health and healing, which is a, a completely different part of the story, which we'll, we'll talk about in the future. But the whole point of it was figuring out the root causes of all these things. I'd started working with, off the back of all my, my businesses, different things that what I'd started doing with my, my business life was working with 
business owners because I had such a vast array of skills and experience from my business life. I'd start to work with business owners and helping them solve root causes of problems in their businesses. Then I wrote a book for people on how to change careers, which again did a similar thing. And what I realized was all of, all of my life has been about helping people to solve root causes of problems. That's what I've been doing for a long time without realizing it. And where I've got to now in my own life is figuring out what the real root causes of all these problems are and all of the stuff I've figured out, all the stuff I've learned applies to everything. It applies to our careers, it applies to our businesses, it applies to our personal lives and our relationships. And what I've realized is once you unlock all of these things, once you really get to the root causes, that's where the gold dust is. That's where you go from this feeling of, I've always, I'd always felt like no matter what I did, it was never enough. No matter how much I achieved, no matter, how, no matter how much money I made, it was never enough. There was always just something missing inside. It always felt like there was that last piece of the jigsaw that I had to find. And through this process, I've figured that out. I've gone from that feeling of, of it never being enough to actually feeling peaceful and calm inside. The, the one thing I never thought I'd, look, I'd find and I think one, the one thing that we don't actually talk about, we talk about happiness, and I think that's the wrong thing to talk about. Because even at my darkest times, even at my most depressed, there were times when I was happy. There were times when I was exhilarated and thrilled and all of these things, but I was never peaceful. I was never content. I never looked around me and thought, yeah, this is, Joe, this is great. Like, this is how I want my life to be, as an, in, as an internal feeling. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you felt like that over time. Um, and it, it was really interesting because a, a few weeks ago, a, a mate of ours, who's, of, of my group of mates and mine, and who, who's a bit older, said to me, we're on night out, and I could tell he was worried about me, and he said to me, but are you happy? And I gave him that answer. I said, it's the wrong question. Because the thing I am now is at peace. I'm good. Like, I'm okay. And I think that's the key. That's what I've realized. That's the key to all of this. And that's what I'm going to talk about. That's all the stuff I've learned on this journey. If, if I do have an X-Men superpower, something I've always been good at is taking complex stuff and turning it into sort of easy to understand concepts and explaining things in a, in a way people like. And that's what I'm going to be doing. Like I, I, I read and, and consume so much that I think this is good and we should be teaching it to people, but I just, it's too complicated or it's spoken about in scientific language and it's really hard to understand. And actually, if we explain it in stories or in easier to understand ways, it'll help more people and we should be teaching it to kids in schools because this will change their lives. And that's the point of all of this. That's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be sharing my stories. I, I should say as well that I am by no means at the end of this journey. I am not gonna share any of this stuff from a position of me thinking I've got everything figured out because I absolutely have not. I am still learning stuff on a daily basis. I am still having breakthroughs, you know, daily, weekly, monthly. I look back to six months ago when I first started thinking about launching this and I've learned so much since then. But the beauty of doing videos and regularly writing blog posts and, and things like that and podcasts is as I learn new stuff, I can share it with you. As I realize that something from the past might not have been what I thought it was, I can share it with you. And that's the plan. 
that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share everything I, I continue to learn. I'm going to speak to as many people as I can, experts in different fields. I'm going to speak about all of the different elements of this stuff that I've learned from seeing therapists and coaches and I'm being in this world now for a couple of years. And I hope it'll help. I think it will help. If any of that story resonates with you, I'm pretty certain it will help. If you would like to hear more, if you haven't already, subscribe to the YouTube channel, get the podcast, um, go to the website and sign up for weekly updates and I will send an email every week with new content, um, new stories, new things I've learned. At any point you want to unsubscribe, you can. At any point you get sick of my face, you can or my voice, you can turn it off and scrap it, no questions asked. Um, and that's it. If you've got any questions, if you've got any comments, put them in uh, the comments below. Contact me on social media. I'm at, I'm at Paul7Cope, wherever you look, probably. Um, and that's it. I hope it helps. I hope this has been informative and helped you understand why I'm doing it and why I think... Um, why I've got something to share that might be able to help. See you soon.